Hello, I'm Catherine Lang-Anderson, a partner at Allen & Overy in our trading commodity finance team. Welcome to our podcast on digitalization of trade and the Electronic Trade Documents Act 2023. We're very lucky to have fantastic guests joining our discussion today. We're honored to have Professor Sarah Green here. Professor Green is Law Commissioner for Commercial and Common Law at the Law Commission of England and Wales. Sarah has been instrumental in the legal developments we'll be talking about today. We're also lucky to be joined by Roger van Lameren, who is Managing Director and Head of Trade and Working Capital Products at Lloyds Bank, and Alex Waits, who is Sales Manager at Anigio. Anigio is a tech company offering digital solutions and is a current Fuse cohort member. Welcome to part two of our two-part series on the Electronic Trade Documents Act 2023. Last week, we spoke about the Electronic Trades Document Act, why we needed it and how it came about. And today, we're looking forward, focusing on some of the practical aspects of complying with the new law and what's next in the next steps of digitalization of world trade. One thing to, um, to think about, about the benefits that we spoke about last week as well, is some big numbers, obviously, around the economic use case and the efficiency gain as well for all participants in the system. But what we didn't explicitly talk about is that whilst the Electronic Trade Documents Act is a UK law, between 60 and 80% of trade documentation globally is documented under UK law, right? So, so this law change, which has been eagerly awaited and is great to see it in place now, of course, is to the benefit of the UK, UK economy, UK businesses, but not just the UK. You can imagine that the, the benefits span much more widely outside of the UK as well. And even for those jurisdictions and for those trade documents not documented on their UK law, there's the Melita framework. There's lots of countries internationally who are either adopting the Melita framework, the UN framework to enable the digitization of trade documents, and equally, we know quite a few jurisdictions themselves are working on their own law changes. France, I think, is quite well progressed. I think the Inigo guys are having quite frequent conversations yeah. there. A few other jurisdictions probably come to mind. Yeah, I definitely think we, the guys at Inigo, I, I've been in the EU year and a half. Um, my colleagues have been hunting this t- uh, challenge a lot longer. But I think definitely since September, we are definitely seeing a a ramp up in movement across the different geographies. You've got the US, you've got France, who are so close. You see Germany are moving, and then you've obviously got the Middle East as well, and we're starting yeah. to see activity there as well. So it's really positive, to be honest. And people are coming to us and speaking to us around the practical sides of the ETD and asking, you know, how are you ticking these boxes? And Roger, one of your points there, it's, it's about... For us, we constantly look at the different law changes that are going to be progressing and change in the different geographies, but the Melita is also hugely influences some of them decisions as well. Yeah, and I think what's so important is that all of these legal changes are done with consistency. Yes. I think lots of nods around the table <laughs> yeah, there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because, I mean, Roger, you gave us a bit of a history lesson last week about, <laughs> about trade and you know, these laws have been developing for thousands of years and in a remarkably consistent way. What we don't want to do is create divergence. We want to keep everything as aligned as we possibly can to facilitate the use of these new technologies across the world. 
Sarah, was that quite a focus of the Law Commission when you were looking at this? Yeah, so I mentioned last week the way that the Law Commission works on the basis of consultation. So we spoke to, as I said, people from across the whole piece, from technologists to their legal advisors to end users um, and across jurisdictions as well. And what was really interesting to me was that we heard from several quarters that there was an anticipation to see what the law of England and Wales would do and that once English law moved or UK law moved, I should say, that that would be a bit of a catalyst, really, for what happens elsewhere. And I think, as Alex said, I think we are seeing that already, even in the few months since. Of course, the Act came into force in September, but I think everybody knew that it was on the cards for a while before then. So I think this year has seen um, a huge amount of movement. And when we were putting the Act together, we also worked alongside international bodies, so from the States, from Uniswar and Citral, we did have more than half an eye on what was going on elsewhere because, Catherine, you're absolutely right, these changes need to happen consistently and alongside one another. And, and it, was, it was really gratifying to see actually how each of those bodies had the same ideas, wanted to get to the same places, and really were just thinking about how best to do that in terms of their own legal system. Because I get asked quite often, well, why didn't the UK just implement um, the MLETR or Melita, depends and um, different people call it different things, but the model law on electronic transferable records, why didn't we just put that straight into UK law? And it's because most of it was applicable and most of it we needed, but not quite all of it. And because of the emphasis on the possession problem that you mentioned last week, we just needed to tailor it and to tweak it to English law. So I think the signs are incredibly encouraging for international development. And I think I can sort of link into some of the conversations that I'm having currently outside of the UK that there is certain geographies taking either a different view or a different process to what the UK did, but they are getting a level of push, sort of pushback from some of the banks that I'm talking to of saying, it's all well and good doing that in, in this country, but once you step out of it with global trade, you need to think about that word global trade. Yeah. Yeah. Once you step out of that country, it has to work elsewhere. So I think it's positive. I think that just, and agree to your point, it needs to align across the board. Yeah. It's got to work outside of the one country. And I guess that's the responsibility on our generation to, to make sure <laughs> <Why right? laughs> as much as we can, that's the outcome. I think in the interim as well, one really helpful feature of the Act is the ability to transform a document from electronic form to physical form and back again. And I expect that's going to be really useful um, in this kind of interim period until we're all comfortable that digital documents work in the same way around the world that paper ones do. Yeah. And in addition to that point around legal consistency globally, there's also a point to be made around system consistency or interoperability, which is often uh, quoted across industry, which is a really important point. And one of the main reasons why at Lloyds Bank, we chose to partner with Tunisia because their sort of open mindset to an open infrastructure for us is, is key really, there are already loads of different participants across the broader industry, and that will absolutely continue to be the case, and we encourage that. Therefore, having a technology firm with an open-minded approach to, you know, how to set their system up in the acknowledgement, you know, they're not going to be the only game in town, which is absolutely fine, but wanting to set themselves up in such a way that they can work with a number of other technology company banks, freight forwarders, shipping companies, corporates, and, and anybody else who's, 
who's involved in global trade or international trade? Yeah, absolutely. I think for us, it's it's really key that it's open has to be for us is the center of what we do. You know, there's no restrictions. You should be allowed to everyone to work with your technology. Then the other side is as well, we want to sort of, and we, we've done this, there's, there's evidence we've done this, but we want to work with the other technology providers out there as well, you know, and if the person on the other side of the transaction isn't with us, then that shouldn't be a restriction. And, and working with the technology providers that the industry are, are using in making sure that whoever we partner with from a technology perspective is obviously on the same legal line as, as we are. I think there is a, a theme coming out here, isn't there, of, of collaboration and cooperation. From an Alan and Overy perspective, that's one of the reasons we were so happy to have an EEO in, in our Fuse cohort at this time, while these big changes are coming through in law. Because I think, you know, one really important thing for us is that the lawyers understand the technology that's available and how it's used. And on the other side of it, that as these technologies emerge, that we're very closely linked to the legal framework and, and how they should emerge in a way that, that fits in with, with what's possible as a matter of law. From a Lloyd's perspective, has all of this required a big change in your operational processes and how you're doing deals in a practical way? Not really, is the answer. Kind of goes back a bit to my previous point, the point discussed last week as well around building unestablished process and procedure that's been around for hundreds if not for for thousands of years obviously we we had to do some work internally to document the fact that we were now going to accept trade documents in a digital format rather than a paper-based format but a prom note is still a prom note a bill of exchange is still a bill of exchange that looks the same it doesn't quite feel the same because you can't quite quite feel it (laughs) but but, you know, this is the whole point around the law change that we discussed last week as well. It just takes what already existed and puts it into a digital format rather than a paper-based format. So that was quite useful in a way. And in support of that, the trade finance products that we use to provide risk mitigation, financing, working capital to our clients haven't changed either. Right. So the underlying flows are still the flows. The seller is still the seller. The buyer is still the buyer. The goods are still traveling from A to Z. The buyer would like to take control of the goods now and pay as long as they possibly can into the future. And for the seller, they'd like to do the opposite. So the core things that we do as a bank and all of our other peers across banking industry do as well hasn't really changed. So there was some work we had to do internally to get our governance procedures updated but it's been fairly straightforward to be honest i think the main point that we are focused on and collectively i think across industry and around this table we need to do more around is just raising awareness across probably principally the corporate world because i think you know in this part of industry banks lawyers technology companies we've talked about this for quite a while haven't we and we've all been quite aware of the the law change and and, and we've spoken a lot about you know views of the benefits we probably haven't quite done enough to talk to the businesses who actually do the selling and the buying domestically or internationally and the benefits that the law change can bring to them yeah i completely agree with that that's my sense as well that we're now really starting to get questions coming through more on the corporate side yeah. and, and corporates becoming really increasingly engaged this you think you know the opportunities for some of the commodities traders 
some exporters, this should really start to become much more apparent now as things ramp up. Yeah, and I think, you know, it's it was it's been excellent working with Roger and his team at Lloyd's because they have been obviously very forward thinking on this. But I think one of the things and it's linked to your your question there is it doesn't need to be super complicated. You don't need to change your whole operational processes and how you work. You know, at Inigo, we've basically, we've took the element of paper and the thinking behind paper and just digitalized that piece of the puzzle. And that's what we've been really true to. And we want to be the system that people look at and say, oh, well, actually, you know what? That was really easy to change. Just to take that first step and just say, okay, I'm going to do something and and not have that first step being so difficult. And it doesn't need to be. It really doesn't. It sounds like you've achieved um, what you set out to do then, Sarah. <laughs> yeah, but it, 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 it does listening to you two there sound like my job was the easy yeah. part. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. <laughs> so, and what, what do we think are the next steps for the industry? What do we need to do next to make sure that we are fully maximising the benefits that this new law brings? Alex, maybe I'll start with you. Yeah, I think... Roger, you touched on it slightly and we talked about it just a second ago. I think the two key things for, for me is collaboration. Still, that needs to push and that is across banks, corporates, but the tech providers. You know, we, we have to be part of that and we can't work in silo. We know that. There will not be one system that fixes this and we know that. So we have to, the collaboration point needs to happen and adoption across it as well. People, like I said, just be earlier, taking that first step and saying, okay, we are going to do something and move forward. And and the team at Lloyd's have been really sort of driving and pushing that as well, which has been fantastic. I would completely agree with that. And I'd like to add that, yeah, we just need to get on with it, which is easier said than done. But it really goes back to my prior point around sort of engagement and awareness across industry. There's a great group of people come together on the Future of International Trade Alliance or the FIT Alliance. One of the things that they've asked all of the members to commit to is a a target to have 100% of bills of lading issued in a digital format by 2030. I think currently we're at about sort of between 2 or 3%. So you can sort of see the scale of change that needs to be delivered in a fairly short period of time. But the Fit Alliance is a great group and all the people who are on the podcast now should really make sure you investigate the Fit Alliance in a bit more detail and see what you can do to play your part, regardless of being in a bank or a law firm or a technology company, freight forwarders, etc. The DCSA and a number of other firms are part of the Fit Alliance as well. So, so there really needs to be a coordinated effort across industry to ultimately issue a digital version of these trade documents. Yeah, and I hope um, that there will be something of a snowball effect. Um, yeah. As you, you know, as we've already said, it's very it's very early days at the moment, but but also this law change was pushing at a door that very much wanted to be open. And I don't know how usual this is, but as this bill was going through the parliamentary process, there were actually quite a few parliamentary questions about what happens once it's passed. Will, will industry actually take it on board? Will it be easy to implement and the responses to that were, were generally quite positive. And I think there was a sense that there would be these group initiatives, one of which you've mentioned. And of course, there's, there's ICC that have been pushing for this for a while. So my hope is and my sense is that 
it will change, will accelerate over the next few years. Because, of course, the other point, which is the the point to make about natural human state, is that as these risks that at the moment seem quite unfamiliar and probably are quite unfamiliar, certainly with quite a few SMEs, that, you know, they're used to paper. We've already said this. We said this last week as well, that paper's very risky, but it's a, a risk that everybody's used to. And these electronic documents are risky and it's a risk that, or a set of risks that, that people are not yet used to. But of course that will, we'll get over that quite quickly, I think. And then once it's sort of recognised that those risks are in aggregate, I think, a lot lesser than the paper system and they become more familiar, I think the change will increase. No, I agree. And actually to that point, there's probably more that we can do to showcase some of the really great work already done after the law change. So at Lloyds Bank, we were the first bank to to transact after the law change went live with a digital promissory note issued on the Inigio technology for our UK client. And yet, you know, lots of other banks would have hopefully have sort of transacted on the act since then as well. So yeah, there's probably just more to be done in terms of showing the benefits, using those examples to really bring it to life, I think. Yeah, and I think, Sarah, I think you mentioned this last week, but where we are today is not where, let's say, the perfect world, but you can't make that jump from paper to Nirvana, for example. There's a journey that everyone needs to go on, and that journey will only happen through through adoption and, and people transacting. And, and that's what, you know, I spend my days talking to different banks and corporates and technology providers, but I say to people, the first transaction you do you will learn from and the next and the next and then eventually you will end up at something from a technology perspective or an operation perspective that okay that's perfect i've worked in operations it's never perfect but you will get there eventually but unless you don't take the first step that's not going to happen and on the first step you don't need to boil the ocean it doesn't need to be complicated and have you sensed because you said you've been doing this for about a year and a half have you sensed there any sort of softening over that time do you think organizations and entities are any more amenable or less scared yeah i think i i have actually i think if um if i look to sort of day one at Indonesia to today the conversations are definitely more open and people are starting to come to terms with okay yeah actually this isn't that complicated you know this isn't the whole onboarding of a a new platform or a new product i don't have to go through all these internal processes and I think, you know, there's a lot of different parties pushing this. And we've got sort of the it for DNI is pushing it. We've Lloyds is pushing it. We push it. And you mentioned the others as well. So I think it is starting to soften and the conversations are definitely becoming more meaningful and and sort of investigatory. My prediction is that Sarah, you are right about the snowball effect. And I think this will all happen increasingly quickly from now on. I mean, I remember not that long ago being at industry events and things and people would be saying, oh, no, we're never going to have digitalization of trade. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely not. I remember that. Yeah, and we're not, you know. We... <laughs> so in the future, that's what will mark us out as, as being old, having these stories about bits of paper. And yeah. I think it will seem mm. very archaic in our, in our careers, you know, pretty quickly. It's a miracle that we still have all these bits of paper flying about every, every day, really, if you think about it. No other industry globally. 
No, and when you when you explain to people, we don't any longer have to do this, but I remember having to explain, you know, to the students that with international trade, you have to have this piece of paper that has, the actual piece of paper has to travel all the way around the planet in some circumstances before that transaction can be ultimately completed. And mm. obviously talking to students about it, they they just can't process that because they haven't had this lifetime of, of, of knowing paper. So yeah, I think it, I think it is incredible, and it's particularly incredible when you consider what a huge environmental effect that has as well. Yeah. Mm. You know, I think that that's definitely another big positive about this. And you consider how many trees have um, you know facilitated international trade for so long. Absolutely, mm. and I think more broadly, so the pieces of paper and the transport of them themselves, but broader sustainability goals in trade. I think digitalization is what's going to really help as well in terms of traceability. Yes. Um, in terms of being able to identify um, goods, there's so many benefits. But without these fundamental legal abilities to do trade digitally, we're not going to be able to make the most of them either. Completely agree with you, Catherine. The traceability is a massive gain. The other gain I'll put on the table is the ability to finance more of international trade. If you think of, again about my example around a promissory note or a bill of exchange, by the time it's travelled to every party it's had to go to and everyone's signed it and it's gone back to the party that who issued the document in the first place, there's only like two days left to do the financing. So there isn't much point to try and get working capital support into the supply chain. Whereas now, some of the transactions that we've, we've done on the initial platform, we've been able to cut down issuance time from over a week to within a day. And wow. actually, I think the yeah. next year will probably kind of cut that down even more. Um, so all of a sudden, the ability then to provide financing into a company's supply chain on the back of that is humongous. And, you know, one of the things we talk about often across industry is the trade finance gap, which I believe now stands at some incredible two and a half trillion dollars, as estimated by the, um, the ADB. Quite sort of. Regardless of what the number is, I guess, you know, the the ability to issue documents in a digital way to get the right signatures and approvals done in a digital fashion to get all of that completed and issued really much more quickly than we've been able to do up to now has to be a positive in terms of getting financing into into the supply chains as well. I think there's another aspect as well that Roger, you talk you spoke there about the, the reduction in that process time. But the fact is also that something we haven't touched on is we are living in a different world now where people aren't sat in an office 24-7 or seven days a week. You know, people are either at home or they're working overseas. So one of the things that we see is, yeah. okay, so if I do this electronically, I can be anywhere. Yep, you know, and you haven't got to wait for that person to come back around to sign that piece of paper. Or We're seeing that as a, yeah, as a driver a as well, to be honest. Sarah, one other question I had for you was whether this act solely looks at trade documents or whether it will be used, for example, promissory in the context of promissory notes that aren't being used in a trade context. So the act, as the name suggests, um, and this was definitely something that we went backwards and forwards about when we were consulting and discussing what should be in the act and what shouldn't. This is an act that is really concerned with trade documents and 
specifically, although not exclusively, with those for which possession is key, as, as you said last week, Catherine. But there are, of course, a broader range of electronic digital things um, that are not covered by this Act, but which really fit in with everything that we've been saying over these last two podcasts. You know, we now live in this world where there are other things which are really digital representations of, of other types of assets. Now, the ones that people have obviously heard of would be virtual currencies, so crypto coins, there's non-fungible tokens, um, there's tokens that are now, they sort of represent on a, on a blockchain, a thing in the real world, like a diamond or a bar of gold that you can then trade the token. So I'm sure most of the people, if not everybody listening to this, are aware of all those different types of assets, and they are not covered by the Act. Now, they don't have to be covered by the Act because their legal treatment is not already enshrined in a statute somewhere that statute then needs to change. So the Law Commission has done um, another project and produced a final report on digital assets more generally. And that essentially sets out a framework um, for judicial common law development. So when these cases concerning, say, NFTs or any kind of document that isn't used in trade that wouldn't come under the Act, this framework is there to guide that judicial process in terms of ensuring that the common law, so that's, you know, judge-made law outside of statutes, is also fit for purpose and can also accommodate these new technologies. So that was, I mean, it's all its all thinking along the same lines. And actually, as far as the Law Commission is concerned, it was the same legal problem, really. How do you possess these things that historically we've never had to think about? We only ever thought about, can you possess a, a bag of gold or can you possess a horse or can you possess a watch? And now, of course, can you possess an NFT? Yeah, I think you probably can. It looks you know, remarkably similar. So that's a very long answer to your question, which says, even if it's not within the Trade Documents Act, that's probably because it doesn't need to be. And it's something that the common law can deal with. And, and hopefully the Law Commission final report on digital assets will help that. Fantastic. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to part one and part two of this podcast on electronic trade documents. Thank you to all the panellists for being here and for sharing your experiences and watch this space. I think the key things that we've come back to again and again are not reinventing the wheel and collaborating to make sure that we all take full advantage of what's available to us now. So looking forward to um, seeing how this develops. Thank you very much. Thank you.